Hey everyone, this is Kendall from the Recording Lounge Podcast, and today we've got a super nerdy show all about latency. So what is latency and why is it important to us? So we're going to cover all things latency, how to keep it low, how to adjust it, all the factors that go into it. You'll probably learn way more than you ever thought you wanted to know about latency. I'm excited to geek out with you today, so let's go for it. Okay, so what is latency? Latency is essentially just a time delay, and we've all experienced it probably at some point or another. It comes from a myriad of different sources, from converters to plugins, and technically speaking, even from your monitors to your ears. It's just a time delay. Now, in practice, this can manifest itself in a couple of annoying ways. For example, maybe you've got a virtual instrument hooked up and you're playing on a keyboard and it doesn't quite feel like when you hit the keys it matches up with what you're hearing. There's a slight bit of delay. Maybe you maybe you think you're crazy and you're like, I don't know, maybe I maybe I'm hearing things. Maybe I just feel something. Maybe it feels a little off and you think maybe it's the keyboard uh, or maybe it's long enough where you hear an actual time delay like ba bum, you know, from the time you hit it to the time you hear it. Another way it could manifest itself is if you're mixing a song and you press the space bar and it takes a second or two to load before it actually plays. That's another way that latency can manifest itself. Now, these are both normal and you shouldn't take these as a sign that something is wrong. In theory, it could mean something's wrong, but, you know, it's normal. We all experience latency. Now, why is it there? Well, there's, like I said, there's a handful of reasons, but essentially the short answer is computers and digital devices need time to process things. And a digital system has a lot of different digital pieces. You have your you know, USB connection, you have your audio interface, your inputs, you also have your DAW and all of that, and you have your audio interface outputs, and that goes to your speakers and whatnot. So most of us can't necessarily hear latency as a discrete echo until about 18 milliseconds, 20 milliseconds. This is sort of the Haas effect and when we're starting to hear things as a discrete echo at a certain point. It's a little bit different for different people. That number's debatable, 17 to 22 milliseconds, somewhere in that zone. However, many people, especially pianists and, and you know keys players, would argue that they can feel latency down to as low as 10 milliseconds or maybe lower. Again, different per person. Um, someone's used to playing grand piano all the time. They're probably going to be really sensitive to it in a digital rig. So that one's really tricky. We're tasked with how can we get the lowest latency possible. So let's first back up and talk about what causes it a little bit more in depth. In any digital audio system, there are basically seven main components that contribute to overall latency. So the first one is drivers. Now, I'm sure you've heard the term drivers, but you might not know what it actually is. Drivers are essentially bits of coding that allow hardware devices to communicate with computers. So drivers are installed on the computer so the computer can recognize devices and interface with it and talk to it and receive information from it and send information to it. This is sometimes confused with firmware which is installed on the hardware. So firmware goes on the hardware, 
and drivers go on the software, essentially. Now, as any of you who have worked with video cards will know, good drivers lead to good performance, and bad drivers lead to glitchy performance. Well-coded, well-made drivers will be stable, high performance, and in audio world, have low latency. Poorly coded drivers will be basically the opposite. They'll be glitchy, unstable, and will likely have higher latency. So much of this is out of your control. It's up to the manufacturer and the designers to code good drivers that are stable and work with modern operating systems. As operating systems are constantly being updated and changed, so are drivers. So we constantly need to keep drivers up to date. Make sure that you're checking for driver updates on your audio interfaces, on any peripherals that you have connected to your computer. It really can make a big difference. If they're way out of date, that can be really problematic. All right, number two, the audio interface itself contributes, you know, usually about four separate buffers. So according to PreSonus, they lay this out in a really great way. You have a transport front buffer on USB devices. You have a primary audio driver input buffer, and you have a primary audio driver output buffer. For most of us, this is going to be an ASIO driver, essentially, buffer. And then you have your transport back buffer on USB devices. So these four buffers. Now, if you're using a Thunderbolt device that uses a different type of infrastructure than USB. It uses what's called a DMA engine, and it works a lot differently than USB, and the latency is much, much lower. So those transport back buffers aren't necessarily applicable when it comes to those uh, Thunderbolt interfaces. So you can get lower latency on Thunderbolt, generally speaking. So what is a buffer? A buffer is, it acts as a loading zone for data. So essentially what this does is allow the device or the software to think momentarily, very momentarily, before carrying out an operation. Buffers are your friend. Yes, they do add to latency, but they can drastically improve the performance of software and hardware. We generally only have control over the audio buffer. So this is uh, this is like number two and three that I listed up above. Generally speaking, they're going to be the same. The input and output are essentially kind of linked. So this is usually set in some sort of control panel application of some kind for your interface. And the numbers are listed listed in samples. Now, technically, the correct term here is samples per buffer. And these so these will be listed as 64, 128, 256. These are the number of samples that are in the buffer, essentially. Technically speaking, a buffer is essentially the number of meaningful bytes of data held in this holding zone. Now, there's one more buffer that we don't really have control over, specifically on USB devices, and this is what's called a USB bus clock. So this is generally part of the driver, and it's kind of predefined by the manufacturer. Similar to any other buffer, lower latency comes from uh, lower buffer times, but you have higher instability, you know, you get better performance, but can be unstable and glitchy. This must be really finely tuned by the manufacturer and designer so it's not too high or not too low. So as you can tell, quite a few of these things come from the interface itself. So we also can have latency introduced by plugins, and this mostly depends on how intensive the processing is. So if you're using like an EQ, 
chances are it'll probably be zero or close to zero latency. But if you're using a reverb, especially an impulse response reverb, or if you're using a brick wall limiter, like a master limiter, like FabFilter or something, these can introduce a ton of latency. Now, this can be really problematic if you're trying to record and monitor through the DAW, especially if you've got some of these things on. Sometimes plugins will add a little bit of latency just from being loaded, even if they're bypassed. Kind of depends on the plugin, I have found. So why is this a problem? Well, when you press the space bar on your computer, your session, especially if you've got a bunch of plugins, will might take a second to play. And that can get kind of annoying, especially when you're doing edits or anything like that. That can get really annoying, actually. Now, how do you also manage the different amounts of latencies between the tracks? That is where automatic latency compensation comes in. So this is crazy, but we used to not have this. Like we used to have to do this manually, which took such a long time and it was really annoying to do. I know you just kind of had to get used to it. We did it. Thankfully, I came in, I started working in DAWs kind of right as that became more standard. But this is one of the reasons I started working in Nuendo really early is because it was one of the few native DAWs at the time that had plug-in delay compensation. Of course, within a couple of years, it seemed like all of them started getting it because, my gosh, how annoying was that? So what does this mean? Essentially, say you have 10 tracks in a session and you add a big fancy limiter to track number three and it has a thousand samples of latency. Well, you want all the tracks to play back together at the same time. So what the DAW does is it calculates how much latency has been added, and then it adds that to every other track. So every time you add a plugin, the DAW does this automatically. Uh, and again, we used to have to do this manually. It was really annoying. So this is really, really, really monumental in the world of digital audio. And, and it was super big deal. It was a super big deal when this happened because it was like, oh my gosh, this will now just do it automatically. However, I found at that time that not every plugin manufacturer had coded it into their plugins. <sighs> that was another issue. For a long time, a lot of mixers and engineers got this sort of security blanket of like, um, man, this, uh, this automatic delay compensation is amazing. And then they quickly realized, oh, how come this plugin doesn't, doesn't have, it's not playing in time. This track isn't playing in time with the others. So you'd have to add a delay plugin and delay it. Really, really a pain. And, you know, now Pro Tools, you had meters that would calculate it for you so you could see if something was off. Um, most DAWs have something like this, and Nuendo's got this. You can see the latency on every track, so you could tell if something wasn't working correctly or if a plugin was not coded for it. Nowadays, I can't think of a plugin that doesn't have it and doesn't have it working. It's pretty much standard now. Thank God. Woo. So, plugins will add latency. The more plugins you have, the more latency your session will have. Now, is this a problem when you're mixing? Not really. I know some mastering engineers that run their, you know, uh, settings on all their plugins so high in terms of like oversampling and quality, they run them to the max and the latency goes through the roof and it takes three seconds to play when they press the space bar, but the quality and the performance is greatly increased. Another factor that affects latency is sample rate. So the sample rate affects how quickly the interface is taking samples of the audio. 
So at 48 kilohertz, uh, that means 48,000 samples per second or 48 samples per millisecond. So the easiest way to calculate latency with samples, which is usually how we're going to see it, is with the following two formulas. So the sample rate in milliseconds, meaning per millisecond. So 48 kilohertz would be 48, you know, 0 0.0. 44.1K would be 44.1. So sample rate in samples per millisecond times the number of milliseconds equals the samples. Another way to uh, write this would be the samples divided by the sample rate, again, in that same form, 48, 48 kilohertz would be 48 equals the milliseconds. So I'll give you an example here. So let's say uh, you have 48 kilohertz and you want to figure out how many milliseconds or how many samples of latency you have for a given number of milliseconds. So let's say 20 milliseconds, okay? 48 times 20 is 960 samples at 48 kilohertz. If we were at 44.1, you would do 44.1 times 20 milliseconds, and that would give you 882 samples, okay? The other way around, I'll show you, let's say, again, we're at 44.1, you do samples divided by the sample rate, so in this case, I'm going to do 882 divided by 44.1, that gives us 20 milliseconds. Okay, so in general, in general, a higher sample rate will have a lower latency. Now, this might seem counterintuitive at first. You'd think, well, isn't it taking more samples per second? Yes, but consider that the buffer size doesn't change, you know, your system buffer, but more audio samples are passing through in one second, essentially. So therefore, the latency is lower. Essentially, the higher the sample rate, the lower the latency. Now, there's a couple other little factors here, but it doesn't happen in every DAW. So in, in some DAWs, there's a feature that allows for the program to intelligently turn on and off plugins based on whether or not audio signal is going through them. In Cubase and Nuendo, this is called ASIO Guard. And in Pro Tools, this is called Dynamic Plugin Processing. Now, this does add a certain amount of latency, but uh, it's usually just to the output, as far as I understand it doesn't actually it's it's a total latency amount it's not you know to the input signal and the output it's just to the output and in cubase innuendo it's pretty low it's about 28 milliseconds which compared to some plugins is you know is really not that bad um you know certain like big limiter plugins like fancy limiter plugins and really high dsp plugins like that can have you know geez a second of latency um, and again, if you look on your DAW at the latency breakdown per channel, you can see that like it all adds up. So if you have five plugins on your track and each one has just a little bit of latency, and then this other track has five other plugins and this other one has five other plugins, I mean, it can really add up pretty quick, right? Um, so some people might be thinking, well, what if, you know, track number one has plugin ABC and track number two has plug-in XYZ, all it does is add up the total and make sure they match. So it goes to the highest one and just adds that to everything, okay? It doesn't, you know, it's smart. It does it, it does it right. 
So I'm going to give you some tips, some rules, some general ideas on how to keep your latency low. I appreciate you bearing with me for the Geek Fest. Hopefully you learned a little bit about why this even exists. So number one, you have to start with a great computer and an interface. Now I know this one kind of seems obvious. I know it's like the eye roll, but it has to be said, like so much of this comes from good drivers, a well-designed interface, and a computer that can handle what's happening. For some rigs, even with a really low buffer size, you just can't get the latency low enough to be comfortable. There, there are limits to this. You have to realize that. So number two, higher sample rates have lower latency. We just talked about this. So for example, if in theory, if you're recording at 44.1, let's say 20 milliseconds of latency at 44.1. Theoretically, that would be closer to 10 milliseconds at 88.2. Now, the math doesn't exactly work out that way, but it's pretty close. Um, so if you've been considering, you know, if you've been recording at 44.1 and you've considered going up, but you haven't really found a great argument for it, you know, even up to 48K, this might be something to consider, especially if you do a lot of work with virtual instruments. Okay, number three, minimize acoustic latency. Now, acoustic latency is sort of this made-up term that I just made up. <laughs> uh, that essentially, I'm just talking about the speed of sound. So the speed of sound is 1,130 feet per second. For my metric friends, that's 343 meters per second. And that's really fast, okay? That's really, really fast. So to travel 20 feet, which is about 6 meters, it only takes about 18 milliseconds, so to calculate this, if you're curious, you take the distance in feet times 0.885. So let's say 150 feet times 0.885. That gets you 132.75 milliseconds. Now, off the top of my head, I don't know what the metric calculation for that is. I know these off the top of my head. To go the other way around, you can do the millisecond times 1.13 to get the distance. So I'll just do this backwards. So if you have 132 milliseconds times 1.13, you get 149 feet, okay? So how do you minimize acoustic latency? The easiest, best way to do it is to use headphones. So while tracking, you have to conserve the amount of latency that goes from the speakers to your ears. And if you're using headphones, it's right by your ears virtually zero latency. If you're sitting four feet from your speakers, that's three and a half milliseconds of latency and every little bit adds up. So wearing headphones removes that. You instantly get that removed. Now, here's an interesting tip. If a player that you're working with is a feeling like they're a little bit too ahead of the beat, purposely try to record them without headphones, having them sit in the room with the monitors. Sometimes this can help them lay back a little bit on the beat, just a little bit, because they're kind of like reacting a little bit, just a little bit late. Now, sometimes they're 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 really sharp and they'll kind of uh, their brain will like compensate for this and their hands will compensate for this. So sometimes it, it will have no effect at all. Other times it will have the opposite effect and they'll like rush because they feel like they're behind. <laughs> so uh, just. Ask your clients if they prefer wearing headphones, if they feel uncomfortable or, you know, how it feels to them, how the mix sounds. And if they mention it, which chances are you're going to have keyboard players mention it to you for sure, 
give them headphones. It will remove an, an extra couple of milliseconds, sometimes more. It depends how far away they're sitting from the speakers. Okay, uh, as we talked about a little bit so far, and as you probably, you probably know from your system, the lower that you set your buffer, you get better performance, but potentially a little more buggy or glitchy or potentially prone to crashing. Uh, it also works your processor much harder. So if you set your buffer to 64 samples, yes, your system in theory will respond faster and be more, you know, zippy as you're working in your program, but it might be unstable and you might get crashes, you might get dropouts, all kinds of stuff. Now you could move your buffer way up to 1024 samples and you'll get double the processing power of 512, which has double of 256, you know, essentially really extending the capabilities of what your computer can do. This is really, really recommended when you're mixing or mastering. Yes, your latency will be higher, but if you're not recording, who, who really cares about the latency? The only thing you'll have to deal with then is the time between when you press space and when you, when you hear it play. So, you know, that's not really that big of a deal. So if you're mixing and mastering, set your buffer higher. When you're recording, set your buffer lower. Now, in some people's rigs, like my rig, I never even touch my buffer because the way I've got it set up works fine for me. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. A good place to start, I would say, is probably 256, 256 samples, and then move up or down from there. 256 will probably be stable on most systems as a good sort of middle ground. If you're really concerned about your system, maybe start at 512 and just move, you know, one increment at a time until you start to see that processing power go up. You start to find a place where the latency works and the processing power is not too high. So another thing you can do is use an interface with zero latency or near zero latency monitoring. This is one reason why I use the links that I use, because I needed an interface that had 32 in and 32 out, but also had zero latency monitoring for every pair of outputs, meaning output one and two, three and four, five and six, seven and eight, etc. Now, not every interface has a zero latency mixer or a near zero latency mixer. There's usually still a little bit, but it's like it could be like a millisecond, right? There's a lot of them out there that have it, but some of them just don't. And you have to monitor through your DAW. I didn't want to do that. I hate latency when tracking. I want to minimize it as much as possible. So that's one of the reasons I went with the links. And I absolutely love the zero latency mixers. I can, in theory, make 16 zero latency mixes. So I can make one for myself in the control room. I can make another for a set of headphones. And I can make six more for people out in the live room, all in zero latency, all on their own mix, all on their own output, which is awesome to me. I don't have to worry about monitoring through the program. This also makes it really useful when I want to use my interface with other programs and have easy access to all kinds of inputs and outputs and different mixes that I can use through my, my panel. So that's a big, big selling feature for me. Another company that has this is RME. They're sort of notorious for their uh, QMix type of software. Speaking of QMix, Motu's is actually called QMix. I, th I think they still call it QMix. Motu has always sort of been famous for their zero latency monitoring for such a low price. You know, there, there are a lot of them out there, but keep in mind, not all of them have it. Make sure you research that. Some of them will have, say, 
four zero latency mixes, but you can't do one for every single output. Definitely make sure you research that before upgrading your interface. Another tip is to not add a bunch of plugins while you're recording. Now, I know this one's not going to work for everyone, and sometimes, you know, sometimes plugins are essential to the sound that you're monitoring. However, so many plugins these days are super low latency. One thing I do is I bypass any plugin on my master bus. First of all, those are really just for mixing anyway. I don't really need them while I'm recording. And second of all, I record with EQ and compression, so I don't want to necessarily monitor with any EQ or compression different from what I'm doing. You know, it, it, there's really no reason for me to have plugins on while recording unless somebody wants, say, a reverb or a delay. But in those situations, is latency really that much of a problem because it's already a reverb or a delay? <laughs> I mean... Sometimes it can be, you know, especially if the, the latency is really long. But I try to minimize the number of plugins that I use while recording. I really try to get the best sounds that I can, just, you know, coincidentally. And so I purposely try to not enhance things with plugins um, until after they're recorded. And after, say, I finish recording drums, I'll give them a quick mix, you know, so they're starting to vibe with what we're, what we're doing, and then we'll move on to bass, right? So I, I, I do put them in the session. But I try to still minimize it. I try to do it, uh, you know, do most of that in the mix. Another tip is that you can freeze, disable, or render tracks that are taking up a bunch of CPU resources. Um, a lot of programs have a freeze function that essentially is like a, a, a render in some way. And uh, it allows tracks to be uh, removed from the real-time DSP processing. And that's really great. That can really conserve some processing in the moment and conserve some latency. Sometimes you just have to disable a track. If you just like, you know what, I don't even need that right now. I'm, it's not even important to record to, so I'm just going to disable it. That's another, you know, thing you can do. Or you can pre-render stuff. In desperate situations, for example, if you are already really, really deep into the session and someone decides, oh, I need to record this virtual instrument, this piano, and you've already like started mixing, honestly, it's easier to just, in my opinion, render the mix as is and open up a new session uh, with no plugins other than the virtual instrument, save it as piano session, just render files between those two sessions. Because it's like, well, then you have the lowest possible latency because you have two tracks. You know what I mean? You have your your bounced mix and then you have your virtual instrument. It's pretty low latency going through that. No plugins, you know what I mean, other than the instrument itself. I've done that before. You know, I've done that on sessions where I'm I'm really in the thick of it and then all of a sudden they're like, hey, can we add this piano? And you know, the mix is almost done. I've got tons of plugins. That's just it's an easy way to go. So now, if all else fails, I've heard of people slaving two machines together. So you have like one machine that's doing the virtual instruments and the other that's actually like the master session. I've never done it myself, so I don't even know exactly how people do it. But I've heard of people in, you know, film composing and that sort of world get into doing this by slaving multiple computers together. I don't know anything about that. I'm really curious to learn more about it, but I have heard of people doing it. I assume this also could help with latency. I'm not really sure. This one's got a little asterisk by it. It's on my list to study up on. Anyway, I hope this episode has been informative. I know it's super geeky, 
but hopefully it's helped you learn a little bit more about latency, what it is, why it is, why it exists, and how we can combat it in our in our sessions to help things go smoothly. Like I said, I'd just like to reiterate, because I know it was early on in, in the podcast, but try to keep your overall latency below 20 milliseconds for sure, but always defer to the player to what they can feel. A lot of players can feel, you know, 10 milliseconds, 5 milliseconds sometimes. Just defer to the player and ask them if the latency is okay. Now, some programs, Nuendo has this, have essentially a, a delay compensation constraint button that all you have to do is press it and it turns off any plugins that have more than zero latency. This is a handy way to do that so you don't have to go in and like manually turn them off. This is like the fail-safe button, you know, that you can just click this and anything with high latency just turns off. Uh, this is really, really great. I could also do this, but, you know, stuff like Slate Trigger has high latency, and so that doesn't play nice. So when you turn that off, you have to actually mute that track as well. And then you don't have your drum samples if you're using any. So that can get a little bit messy, but in general, that's a nice fail-safe. So anyway... Thanks for geeking out with me today about latency. If you've got any questions, please send me an email, recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. I hope all of you out there are kind of liking this new format of the show. I'm trying to alternate between longer, more in-depth episodes and shorter, like half-hour episodes to just kind of mix it up a little bit and allow me to do more episodes in a month. I'm, I'm trying to do two episodes every month this year. Thank you all so much for being supporters on Patreon. If you're interested in being a supporter, you're literally helping me keep this podcast going. I've just started uh, paying an assistant to edit these episodes so that I can get more of them out. So as of right now, the money from Patreon goes to paying that assistant directly. And, uh, and I also have the domain and the storage and the website, all this stuff. That stuff's not cheap, you know, and, and, and I, I don't make a lot of money from the podcast. I don't want people to think that I'm asking for money for some odd reason. Like every year I lose money on the podcast and I'm happy to do it to some degree that, <laughs> you know, within reason, because I like doing the podcast, but you know, it's expensive to host it. And so if you, if you do want to consider supporting the podcast, Patreon is is the best way I think you can do it because it will only take money out of your account when I post new episodes. It doesn't do it monthly. It doesn't do it like that. It just does it when I post new content. So this ensures that you're not paying for content that doesn't exist. As all of you know, the last couple of years have been a little bit spotty on content. It's been a couple of crazy years, but I really want to get back into doing it more regularly and I'm hoping that having an assistant now will really help me do that, where I can record the podcasts and send it to him and he'll do everything else. Again, it's not cheap, but it's worth it to me to, uh, to, to do that so I can get more episodes out. So please consider doing that by going to patreon.com slash recording lounge. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash recording lounge. Thank you all for listening. I'll talk to you next time.